0: As we're getting ready to get into the message, uh, Sean Perry is going to read for us. And um, while she's coming forward, would you all stand out of respect for God's Word? And Father, uh, we just pray right now that uh, you would burn your Word into our heart. Thank you, Father, that your Word does not return void. Your Word is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now. And help us to hear, not just with our ears, not just with our mind, but with our hearts as well, Father. Thank you, Lord. Okay, Sean.
1: Good morning, church family. Our scripture text is found in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Thank you, Sean. Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I doubt that there's anybody here that's never heard of it. Um, It's one of the most famous of the parables And uh, there's even laws named after the Good Samaritan. They're called Good Samaritan Laws to protect those who try to aid others that are hurt. Um, There's the Good Sam RV Club. And actually, I just learned this week, there's a new movie coming out. Uh, I think it's on Prime or one of those uh, streaming services. It's called The Samaritan. And it's Sylvester Stallone as a vigilante. 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 And they took off the good because he does some things that aren't so good, you know, but so the Good Samaritan is known by many people. In fact, in our teaching team, one of our members, uh, Donnie, said that um, there's secular organizations who use the Good Samaritan parable. Now, they're secular. They're not following Christ, but they still use that parable to encourage their members to do the right thing. So... Um, well speaking of the teaching team for a minute I just want to say how blessed I am to be here and be part of that teaching team Um, the messages that come here that you hear uh, they're not just the efforts of one person it's a team effort we spend uh, a day not well, part of a day going through these texts and and talking and praying and discussing about it sometimes sparks fly as different opinions come up about the text and what we're wanting to say but uh it's a it's great. I enjoy it. Iron sharpening iron. But there's a lot of people that are involved in bringing the messages here today, and a lot of behind-the-scenes work. But, okay, off on that tangent. But if we've all heard the Good Samaritan, then what am I doing up here? Because what can I add to what you already know, right? Well, that's where our faith in the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes in, because I've been a Christian now for 52 years, reading the Word many, many times, I've, and I, I'm just amazed. It never gets old. The Lord is continually speaking through His Word. There's things I've never seen, and I still hear it. John chapter 3, we went over in a house church one night, and I, John chapter 3, I've been through that hundreds of times, and someone brought something, I was like, wow. So I pray that today that will also happen with you as we go through this parable. So, unlike most of the parables, Jesus is uh, telling this parable in response to a question that was asked by Him. And not just any question, a question that was meant to trip Him up. Now, most of the parables were written, uh, or Jesus spoke them, and They had obscure meanings, as Darren's talked about, and so they were intended to draw the person to Jesus to ask for more meaning so that they could understand it, and in the the process that they draw closer to Him. But that's not the case here. Jesus was trying to be not only tripped up, but also speak truth. So in this case, an expert in the law, a lawyer, was trying to test Jesus. Now the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Implying that he's got this checklist and if he just does A, B, and C, he'll have eternal life. So just tell me what I gotta do so I can have eternal life. So um, Jesus wasn't really willing to go down that path. So, but recognizing this guy was an expert in the law, Jesus instead asked him, well, What does the law say about that? So the lawyer replies first with an obvious answer that every Jewish person would have known at that time. It's the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he adds, and love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus tells him, hey, you've answered correctly. And the dialogue should end there, right? You know, Jesus told him, hey, yeah, that's the right answer. But the lawyer was wanting to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? Now, attorneys today are trained to limit terms that may be nebulous in definition, like my neighbor. How do you define that? Is that the person who lives next to you? How far away do they need to live from you? So there's just lots of questions you, you could ask that. And so lawyers will ask, how do you define the word neighbor? And so the idea is that you can create doubt about what a term means, so you can wiggle out of it. You can wiggle out of that box or you can create a loophole so that if you're pressed, you can get out of it. And who is my neighbor? is the question Jesus is responding to in this parable. In this parable, the first two people that came upon the person needing help would have been viewed as people who served God, who knew God, who were close to God, a priest and a Levite. What did they do when they saw this injured man in the road in their way? They avoided him by going to the other side and continuing their journey. They didn't stop to help him. Wow, that's not very loving, but it's an important point we wanna make here. The people with the reputation for being close to God did nothing to help. I didn't write that. This is what Jesus said in his parable. Now, if you could be a news reporter, and go back in that day and interview these two, why did you choose to walk on the other side of the road and go on down the road? The priest would have said something like this, but I'm, I'm a priest and I'm forbidden by the law of Moses from touching a dead man and he was half dead. He, he could have died while I was touching him and then I would have been unholy and I would have broken the law of Moses and God would not have been happy about that. So. I had no choice. I had to do the right thing. And then the priest would have probably said, hey, what he said goes for me. And, and not only that, I've got so many things to do to help the people of God in the temple and, and in their community. And so, if I'd have stopped and helped him, it would have ruined my schedule. And I'd have held up all these other people. So. I couldn't do that. I've got to serve God and maintain my schedule. They didn't remember, though. The Lord sees past our excuses. He sees our hearts. 1 Samuel sixteen seven says it so well. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. For if they had really loved the injured person, don't you think their actions would have been different? Couldn't they have done something to help, like stay there and, hey, come over here, we need help. Couldn't they have done something to help rather than cross over and walk to the other side to pretend they didn't know? What if it had been their wife? their child, their friend. What if it had been the high priest? Wouldn't they have stopped to help? The Lord knew their hearts, what they really felt inside. The third person to come upon the injured man was a Samaritan. Now the Jews viewed Samaritans as people ignorant of God. What did the Samaritan do when he saw the injured person? Well, we like to say he did this and did this, but I think the thing that Jesus points out is he felt compassion for him. That came from the heart. Compassion is something that originates here in the heart. And you and I can't see what's in somebody else's heart. But as Jesus said in another place, We also can't see the wind, but we can sure see the impact of the wind on a tree. When it's a heavy wind and it's blowing, you can see the tree bend. And in the same way, you can see when somebody has compassion in their heart, because it makes them take action. This compassion caused the Samaritan to take action. What actions? Actions that cost him. I want you to picture in your minds for a minute as I read these actions, what would have really been involved, what he really did. When he bandaged him, he touched him. It's pretty hard to bandage a wound without touching somebody. And there might have been blood, open tissue, cut skin. He used his oil and his wine, items that he probably intended to sell to make money to feed his family, Or that he was going to use on that journey to continue that journey he was gonna use that for himself he was gonna that was something that he needed but he used it to cleanse his wounds and he now walked maybe he had a limp maybe there was a reason he needed to ride but he got off his donkey putting the injured man on his donkey he took care of him now At that time, I doubt there was a super eight. He could have bought another room. There was little inns with little space. And so he was probably in a little room, maybe in a room with other people, but it was probably small and cramped. They didn't have facilities like we have here. And he probably had to sleep next to that man, taking care of him, bearing with his moaning, with his snoring with his crying. He probably had to empty that man's bedpan or the equivalent of a bedpan 2,000 years ago. You can only use your imaginations on that. The Bible also says two days wages. Two days wages, wow. And then whatever more you spend taking care of him, I will repay you when I come back. And i got to think for a minute. And There's a tangent, but was he thanked? We don't know whether the guy was still unconscious, conscious, half dead, whatever. Um, but was he thanked? Probably not. So Jesus finishes telling the story and asks the lawyer, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who needed help? Now note, this is not the same question the attorney asked or the lawyer had asked him. The lawyer had asked him, who is my neighbor? It's from the lawyer's perspective, from his eyes, from his worldview, who is my neighbor? But Jesus asked, who was the neighbor to the man who needed help? It's asked from the perspective of the person Who needed help, he will decide who is the neighbor. Jesus is making the lawyer change the point from which the lawyer determines who is a neighbor. He's challenging him to look how he treats others, not through his own eyes, but through the eyes of the other guy, through the eyes of his neighbor. Well, The answer to Jesus' question is obvious. And so the lawyer states the obvious answer, the one who showed mercy. Now Jesus could have said, right answer, good for you. Instead he says, you go and do likewise. It's not enough for the lawyer to know what to do. Jesus tells him to go do that. So the lawyer was hoping to limit those who could be considered his neighbor, to kind of lower the bar on what it takes to get eternal life in his eyes. But Jesus ruins that attempt. Essentially, Jesus says anyone who needs help is his neighbor. And then Jesus tells him to go and do what the Good Samaritan character did in the parable. So, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus, who try to obey Jesus' commands, what does this parable tell us to do? Go and do like the Good Samaritan. Have compassion on our neighbor and take action to help them. We could stop right here with this and say, okay, good, we're done with the sermon today. Um, Have compassion and take action. But if we stop here, we're missing something very important that Jesus put in this parable. Through the characters Jesus used, Jesus is defining who is our neighbor for the lawyer. And I believe for us too. Jesus purposely chose these characters. The Good Samaritan and the injured man would normally not ever speak to each other. Jews and Samaritans didn't intermingle. They were different ethnic classes and had hundreds of years of resentment and fighting amongst themselves. That wasn't something natural. For Jesus to put these two characters together in the parable. How they felt today, oh, how they felt towards each other would today be like uh, once the war in Ukraine is over, I pray that it's over sometime soon, a Russian and a Ukrainian talking together, being together. It would be like uh, a Jew and an Arab in the Middle East. It would even be like a Chiefs fan and a Broncos fan in January. <laughs> <No worries>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I won't go any, close. I don't go any further than that one. All right. So Jesus is saying to the lawyer and to us that our neighbor is essentially anyone, even strangers, that in the flesh you have reason to hate. Now, is this a totally new concept? No. It's in the Old Testament, numerous places. Here's one of them, Leviticus 19, 34. You shall shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Jesus also speaks to this in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous so we get from this parable have compassion take action to bless others including strangers and your enemies that is what jesus wants us to think of when we say the words love our neighbor the command to love our neighbor can be done in so many ways in so many places the applications are endless at school At home, at work, the grocery store, the post office, everywhere there are people, everywhere there's need, everywhere you can help someone, even if you don't know them. But with the time I have left, I want to dive deeper into a few possible applications and practical steps for us to consider when we want to obey Jesus' command to go and do likewise. Likewise. But before I do, I would feel horrible if someone heard this message and excited about applying it, and you go out and you try to help somebody alongside the road, and then you get hurt doing so. Be wise. Look out for traffic. Be careful of putting yourself in a position where you can become vulnerable. There's there's easy ways to help people stranded along the road. I've done this, but you know, you pull up, roll the window down about an inch so you can talk to the person, assess the situation. The door should be locked so that they can't get in. I mean, there could be people that are running from the law or uh, there's even a chance that somebody could be looking for a victim. So be careful, be wise. And so I don't wanna give you all these other tips that you can do today. You can find them on the website. Today's not the place of message, but I do ask you to please be careful when helping people on the road. But I wanna move on to an example in an environment that would be a much safer place. Have you ever considered that one of the places where you could obey Jesus and help someone in need is right here at 2900 North Rock Road. I know many of you work with His Helping Hands and Urban Prep and Union Rescue Mission and and other charities around here and are doing so much to help others and thank you for doing that. But bear with me for a few minutes as I share another application of this parable with you. New people come here to Central Christian all the time. Some of them may know the Lord already, but if they are new here, they probably don't know their way around the property. They probably don't know anyone else here. They could come in here and leave without one, spe- one person speaking to them. Think about it. I might think that you know them already, and you might think that I know them already, and we both might think that everybody else here would know them already. And so none of us would visit with them. Like baseball players, you know, the ball's up in the air. There's three guys, they're all coming to the position. It's like, oh, you're going to get it, aren't you? No, I thought you were going to get it. And it falls right in the middle, and no one catches it. because they thought someone else would take the initiative. Can you be in a packed out sports stadium and feel alone? I think so. So could someone be here in our midst today and they feel alone? I think so. Is that okay with you? That someone could be here with us today and feel alone. Would this be your chance to help someone that you don't know? Yes. By the way, if you're new here to Central, we don't want you to feel lost or alone. We know this is a big place. Um, We have people at what we call Info Central out there in our lobby and they've got materials and they can help answer any questions you've got and uh, they're waiting to help you out. Um, If you're new to Central, one of the best ways to get to know people is to participate in one of our house churches and you saw the house church leaders stand up earlier. We've got Gospel Life classes that take place right after this service. We call them GLCs. There's community groups, Bible studies. You can find information on this on our website, on our church app, in this uh, little bulletin here, um, various places, and Info Central. But to get back on the topic now, someone new here at Central could be wounded. Just like the guy in this parable. These wounds aren't physical wounds though. They may not be very obvious either. You know how people can look great on the outside, but on the inside they have wounds of rejection, hurt from betrayal, guilt from sin, or anguish over what's happening to their loved ones and in their life circumstances. They come here hoping to somehow reach out to God for help. Because they've heard that God may be able to help them. And they see this big building with a cross on it and lots of cars, lots of people going in. And so they may come here hoping to somehow get help from God. Hoping someone will be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Now you remember how Jesus changed a lawyer's question from who is my neighbor to which one of these was the neighbor to the injured man, asking the question of who is a neighbor from the other person's perspective and not from our own perspective. So from the viewpoint of someone who is new here, do we play the role of the priest or the Levite? You know, the servants of God who are great sidesteppers? Or do we play the role of the good Samaritan going out of our way to help. Will we be busy talking with friends that we neglect the stranger among us? And then justify it in our hearts because, well, we need to get to GLC right away. It's getting ready to start. Or I need to check in with my friends. When the real reason in our hearts is that we don't want to take the effort to care for a stranger. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, you could say, but I'm an introvert, and you very well may be. It's estimated that close to 50% of the world is. But think about it for a minute. That is from your perspective. Again, look at things from the perspective of the person in need. Does this person know that you're an introvert? To him or her, all they may come away with feeling is that they're not valued or wanted here unless you take the effort to reach out. Jesus didn't say to the lawyer, if you're an extrovert, go and do likewise. When we turn our gaze to the other side of the room as we walk past people, you're probably familiar with this, it happens in the mall all the time, but say I'm walking along and that podium is somebody that I'm meeting in the hallway. And so, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Or, the more modern version of that is... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, wow. Many of you have probably experienced it outside of places here, and I've experienced it here. I was new here about 18 months ago. I wasn't on staff then, most people didn't know me. Of course it it can be uncomfortable to interact with someone you don't know, but that's what Jesus is wanting us to do. Fortunately, several people here did reach out to welcome my wife and I, introducing themselves and visiting with us, making us feel at home. My wife and I remember most of those conversations. That was a year and a half ago. We're so glad they reached out to us. Advocates for the homeless state that the homeless feel invisible and dehumanized of no worth when people refuse to make eye contact with them. Making eye contact with someone says that they are important, that you notice them, that they are the same worth as you, worth your time to notice. In our hallways and at our doors, a one-second glance with eye contact and a warm hello can make the difference between someone feeling valued and not valued. Will we take the time to help a new person here if they appear to need help? If we were walking into, say, a meeting, a fellowship of some sort, and we saw our friends at one table over here, and someone we didn't know by themselves over here, which way would we go? Jesus said in Matthew 5 47, and if you greet, Only your own people. What are you doing more than others? Do not the pagans do that? We need to be careful not to repeat the behavior of the priest and the Levite. Seeing only need from our own perspective and not the perspective of others. Sidestepping someone in need. But justifying it in our own minds. I've done this as well in my life, I'm sad to say, because Jesus' words come to mind. When you've done this to the least of these, you've done it unto me. As we saw in the scriptures earlier, one another includes strangers, people we don't know. Now Jesus commands us to go into all the world to make disciples for Jesus can you imagine winning others to Christ without developing new relationships with other people? Does the Great Commission sound like us just maintaining our current friends and relationships? Or does that imply that we must make an effort to make new relationships on a regular basis? As Darren said in his recent Albanian update a, a few weeks ago relationship trumps everything relationship trumps everything how many new relationships have we started recently what are we doing to make new relationships Romans 15:7 states Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Well, let me ask you a question. Was Romans fifteen seven written just for our greeters? Do you remember uh, back in July, there was a video of Dan Penniston and Chase Wilhite that was shown during a message? Chase talked about how many years ago, Dan welcomed him in this lobby. Chase still remembers that Sunday. It was many years ago but Chase still remembered that. It made a lasting impression on him. Now I'm pleased to say Chase is now welcoming people here like Dan welcomed him. Now you may be hindered from welcoming or helping people here because you feel inadequate. You may feel that some of those same mental or emotional wounds that are inside of other people that may be coming here, well, they're they're still inside of you. You may feel that you haven't been fully received here. So how can you love others by welcoming them when you feel this way? What I've experienced in my life is that when I take my eyes off my own needs, my own feelings, my own hurts, and I focus my energy on helping others, that somehow my needs, my inadequacies, they're taken care of. I shouldn't say somehow, because I know how. God does it. Matthew six thirty three speaks to this. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. By loving others and welcoming them here, you are seeking first the kingdom of God. A phrase we use in disciple-making is, God wants us to be a river, not a pond. What flows into us then flows out. It's shared. Sharing what we receive from God not hoarding it, not letting it end with us. I believe God is faithful to refill a container that pours out love to others, and that container is us. It would be cool if we welcomed and loved others so well here that when people walked in our doors, they could feel the love between us and for them. That central Christian would be known even famous for how we love others. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. that we demonstrate our church's mission statement. A family that loves God, knows God, loves people, and makes disciples of all nations. Let's search our hearts for a moment. Who have we been? Have we been the priest, the Levite, or the Good Samaritan? Fortunately, that's history, and the blood of Jesus can cover history and forgive us. So now let's look forward in the future. Who do we want to model? The priest, the Levite, or the Good Samaritan? The priest, the Levite or the Good Samaritan. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to come and convict us of sin. Behavior that hasn't been loving when someone else was in need. Even crossing over to the other side, if not physically, but mentally and emotionally. But you rescued us. When we were in sin, when we were bruised and beaten and half dead, actually fully dead, you still reached out and pursued us. You forgave us and brought us into your family. Forgive us, Father, when we've not helped others like you've helped us. But let that be changed today and give us vision of what we might become in you, empowered by you and your Holy Spirit to truly love others, strangers, friends, and family. And that the name of Central Christian may be synonymous with people who love one another, even strangers. Thank you, Lord. Bring it to pass now.